Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Bart, for playing. Uh, one other item of praiseworthy note is uh, to do with our finances. Uh, this past week, Ross and I signed all the paperwork for the new financing for the church. Uh, so we're moving our mortgage from Van City to Church of Christ Development Corporation, and that will should all come together tomorrow morning. So just uh, really grateful for uh, the way the Lord provides for us and the way interaction with um, people in the community has made, have made uh, new financing operation possible for us. Um, and also what's starting this, the start of this past week is the, uh, the management team have been uh, meeting with various uh, construction companies and uh, engineers to look at doing a survey of the building. So um, you'll see work progressing. Now the financing is in place. The work is going to progress as well. So we're very grateful for that. Um, we uh, Please continue to look in your bulletin in the coming uh, weeks and months. Uh, there'll be an update of what's being done, what's being spent. Uh, we want for this whole process to be as hallmark as first gratitude for the Lord for his provision, but secondly, also in openness and transparency in terms of what the plans are and what we'll be doing. Uh, there'll be no guessing, no nothing is hidden, uh, everything is open book. Um, and we're, again, just grateful for the way the Lord has provided for this church and for the people that have come in the right positions in the right place to, to take this effort for, through. Continue to play, pray for the management team because they will be taking a lot bigger load as we go through the, uh, the renovations of the building. Um, but now let's, uh, let's read some scripture together. Uh, Pastor Keith is going to speak to us generally from uh, Matthew 5 to 7. That's a bit of a, a long haul to read this morning, so instead we'll just read Matthew 5, 38 to 42. Um, the words are not long, but they are challenging. The word of the Lord. Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse 38 to 42. I'm reading from the NIV this time. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If any of you wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. The word of the Lord. Not in my script, but I'd like to pray for Keith as he preaches to us this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this, your servant, who wants to work for you, who has set aside his life in service for you. Father, thank you for his ministry. Thank you for the uh, work he's done with our youth and with our kids. We uh, are grateful to see the Holy Spirit alive in our youth, partly through the work of Keith. Father, we pray that you would uh, be close to Keith this time, that he would be aware of your presence that uh, you would fill him with calm and peace, that he would rely on you. And so we thank you for the word that you are going to speak to us this morning. Pray our hearts would be open to the receiving of your word, and that you would be a blessing to Keith as well. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Thanks, Keith. Thank you, Richard. So as Richard mentioned, uh, today's sermon is a bit of an overview of the entire Sermon on the Mount, uh, which takes up three full chapters, uh, and I will uh, say at the very outset, it will be shorter than Todd normally speaks, 
so uh, we'll be able to get out and enjoy the sunshine this afternoon. Uh, it's not an excuse to be out there in your mind already, but uh, please, uh, please listen. I believe uh, God has laid this on my heart and uh, given me a, an important message, so I've uh, been very blessed through the preparation of it. And I hope you are can equally blessed through the hearing of it this morning. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you. These words occur six times in Matthew chapter 5 and are implied many more times throughout that chapter and the two that follow. He said Matthew chapters 5 through 7 make up the, re- the longest recorded speech of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And those three chapters are what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Throughout this sermon, Jesus emphasizes over and over again the call to take up a worldview that is different from the prevailing culture and religion. He starts at the beginning of Matthew chapter 5 by pronouncing blessings on the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, the persecuted, and others that the world of the day would have seen as cursed. Today, living in a secular culture, we would not go so far as to say that these people are cursed, but by no means would we say that these people are blessed. When was the last time that you saw someone in mourning or someone who is persecuted and said, they are a blessed person? Have you ever chosen to let yourself be in one of these situations and circumstances and not fight to get out of it? It would be completely contrary to everything that seems obvious. But Jesus tells us this is the reality. Blessed are these people. He then goes on to tell us how that blessing is made, comes, comes to fruition. To be in mourning means that you can experience the full extent of the comfort that comes from God's love. To be spiritually hungry means you can experience the fullness that comes from the bread of life. Those that Jesus lists as blessed are those that even today are often looked down upon and viewed as failures. And this is just the start of Jesus turning culture upside down. After these beatitudes, these blessings on those that would appear cursed, Jesus starts to talk about the law. He goes to the very center of the Jewish culture and their religion. He states very clearly that he has not come to abolish the law, but he's come to fulfill the law. The difficulty then becomes understanding what does it mean to fulfill the law and not abolish it. To explain that, Jesus starts to lay out this series of statements following the pattern, you have heard it said, but I say to you. One of those was the one that Richard read to us. But in those statements... He seems to intensify the law. Do not murder becomes do not be angry. Do not commit adultery becomes do not lust. And the list goes on. Jesus takes the law and makes it about the inward workings. He makes it about the heart and no longer about the outward action. The final two statements in this series are the two most crucial statements. 
The one that Richard read to us was the first of those last two. And if those two are followed, then all of the others are followed as well. Jesus says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil to you. After that, after an explanation of that, he goes on to say, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These two statements sum up all of the others in the fact that they emphasize mercy and love. The Old Testament law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth was revolutionary at the time. When Moses gave that command as part of the law, it limited punishment to be equal to the crime. The other cultures of that day would have created punishment and dished out punishment far more severely An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is just. It is punishment fitting to the crime. Even today, our culture struggles with this, though. We get upset if a punishment is deemed too lenient. And we often hear people talk about how, I hope they make an example of them, because if they don't, nothing's ever going to get better. However, Jesus calls us beyond just punishment. He calls us beyond justice to mercy. When we are struck on the cheek, we are told not to strike back. We are told to turn the other cheek. Jesus tells us that justice is no longer the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is now mercy. Mercy does not do away with justice. It fulfills justice. That fulfillment comes through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And the mercy that comes out of that is founded on and intertwined with love. Our call to mercy is therefore only superseded by our call to love. Jesus makes it clear that it is not a big deal to love our friends and those we care for. Even the sinners do that, he says. The tax collectors, those that are looked down upon by society, even they can love the ones that they care for. They can love their families. But we're called to more than that. We're called to follow the example of our Heavenly Father and love even those who despise us. God does not let the sun shine on only those who love him. He does not provide for only the righteous. He loves and cares for all. His love knows no bounds. Jesus sums up his command to love for us with a statement that on the surface is very difficult. He says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oftentimes, this is a command that we view as a scary thing. How can I be perfect? Jesus tells me to be perfect. How is that possible? I cannot be perfect. I am a sinful human being. But in the context that this statement is made, in the context of God's love and mercy, this is nothing to be afraid of. 
This command is a command that is full of hope. We are called to show love and mercy to all, and the perfect example of that comes from the one whom we depend on to show us love and mercy. We strive for this perfection, and we know that we will fail. We are human beings of a fallen nature. We know that we will fail in our striving to show this perfect love and mercy. But within that, we know through our faith that we will still be shown love and mercy. Because the one we are striving to impersonate in our perfection is the one who is perfect in love and mercy. No matter how much we mess up, God's love and mercy is always perfect. That's why it's what we strive for. From this point, Jesus continues to show how the way of God is vastly different from the ways of this world. He continues going after the religious standards of the day. He points out that we should not perform our religious duties and our religious practices with the intent of being seen. He uses the example of the person praying on the street corner so that everyone can see them. And he says, don't do that. Go lock yourself in the room and pray in secret. He uses examples of those who give and make a show of how much they are giving. He says, don't do that. Give in secret. Don't let your right hand know what the left hand is doing when you give. Do these things so that your Heavenly Father, who sees what is done in secret, will see it. Today, we don't have that same struggle very often of putting our religious practice on display. It is only ever a struggle within the confines of our own religion, within our own church community. When we go out to the outside world, oftentimes we try to hide our religious practice. Showing our religious practice in the outside world today does the opposite. It does not gain us standing. Oftentimes, it removes us from cultural standing. That doesn't mean that we are immune from what the intent of Jesus' message is here. Our culture is full of people who use their charity and their good deeds to improve their own image. If you look at any hospital, every wing of every hospital has the name of someone who's funding it on that wing. That's not to say that that is a bad thing, but it is not a Christian thing. Jesus tells us to give and to perform our acts of charity, our religious practices in secret. Our culture tells us that we need to be successful even when we aren't. This drives us to make sure we do the right things in the right way and when the right people are watching. And this is totally contrary to what Jesus says here. He tells us we do not need to appear successful even if we are. We are to act in a way that is honoring to God and do it in a way that does not seek to take the honor that is due to God and put it on us instead. That's what the religion of the time was striving for. That's what their leaders were doing. They were taking this honor that was due to God 
and moving it to themselves. Saying, look at how good I am. Look at these prayers that I am giving. I am so good at this. And Jesus says, no, you've got it wrong. Religion is not about what we do and how we look in this state. The religion is about what God has done for us and how we accept that. When we make it about us, we're taking the honor that should be going to God and we're moving it to ourselves. To move on from that point, everything that Jesus has said that overturns the cultural standards and the religious standards changes our mindset from worry, fear, and anxiety. All of these things that Jesus says, don't do this. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And when we take those and we turn them around as Jesus does, it takes away fear and anxiety. And he replaces them with standards that lead to love and mercy. It is fitting then that towards the end of his sermon, Jesus leaves us with instructions to to not worry and to not judge others. The world tells us we need to be afraid. We need to be afraid of others. We need to be afraid of not having enough. We need to be afraid of not giving enough and not being good enough. Jesus tells us that we need to love. We need to love with the perfect love that drives out all fear. When we love, the fear of not having enough, it subsides. The fear of not having enough is replaced as we freely give of what we have, whether it be lots or little, and we freely give of that to those who are in need. The fear of not being good enough subsides. That fear subsides as we rest assured in the perfect mercy of our Heavenly Father. That mercy that is truly perfect, that we are to mimic and to imitate, that fear drives away, that, sorry, that mercy drives away the fear of not being good enough. We don't need to put on a show anymore. God's mercy is enough. The fear of others, that subsides as we show them love and mercy ourselves. If you truly love someone and you are willing to show them mercy, regardless of what their view of you may be, even if they are your enemy who is persecuting you, if you show them love and mercy... It is impossible to fear that person. And instead of fearing and making judgments about their intentions and putting up walls to keep them away, we show them love and mercy. So as Jesus says in the conclusion of his sermon, and again, this is a very brief overview of the entire sermon. It's three chapters long, and I would encourage you to read all of it. Read it over and over again. Every time you read it, you will get more. Jesus says towards the end, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The wide gate is is easy because there are many ways through it. You can go about your life doing pretty much anything you want and find that wide gate on that easy path. The narrow gate is difficult, not because there's a bunch of rules that you have to follow to get through it, but because there is only one way through it. And that one way is love. The pure, true love through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The narrow gate is not marked by a long list of religious duties. It is not marked by our morality. It is not marked by how good we are. It is marked by our love. It is marked by the mercy and love of Christ that we emanate through us. It is marked by the love that we have been called to. It is the same love and mercy that Jesus tells us, be perfect in this love and mercy as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is the characteristics of the narrow gate. It's not about making sure that we follow all the rules as it's often made out to be. It's purely about showing that love and mercy that we can only experience through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's that same love that we are called to show in perfection just as our Heavenly Father shows it perfectly towards us. So in summary, we are called to go above and beyond what our world says is the right thing. We are to flip that around. Jesus says, what the world says, they've got it backwards. Yes, there is goodness in the world. There is goodness in people who do not know Christ. They can do wonderful things. But their motivation is not not the way that Christ calls us to be motivated. We are called to show that love and mercy to honor God. We are not called to make ourselves greater. We are called to, in humility, emphasize the greatness of God's love and mercy. And we are to rest assured that no matter how much we fail at that, God's love and mercy is sufficient. He is the perfect example of what it means to love and what it means to show mercy. And within that, the true justice that the world often seeks is found. And it's not a justice that makes sense to us. It is a justice that only makes sense in the mercy of the immense sacrifice through Jesus Christ. Let us pray together as we uh, continue our worship this morning. Heavenly Father, help us to be the light to the world. You call us to be salt and to be light. You call us to show love and mercy. Lord, help us to show that to one another within your community, within the body of this church. And help us to show that to those outside. 
let that love and mercy emanate from us in a way that is so brilliant that those that do not know you cannot help but see you through us. Lord, we lift up those in our community that are suffering. Lord, as you said, blessed are those who mourn. You can say, blessed are those who are suffering, Lord, because they will know your true comfort. Lord, we ask that that suffering would be eased. But Lord, we ask that it be truly seen as the blessing of knowing the immensity of your comfort. Lord, we ask that you would put in all of us that spiritual hunger. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Lord, let us truly hunger and thirst for the righteousness that is found in you. Let us know the fullness that comes in those rivers of living water that you pour out for us. Let us know the fullness that comes in the bread of life. Lord, we lift up those in our community that are awaiting medical results, those that are awaiting tests, those that are anxious in the, uh, in, in the knowing of things to come. Lord, we lift them up. Lord, we pray for those that are not with us this morning that are traveling or that may be home sick or at work, whatever the case may be. Lord, we think specifically of Todd and James as they have been away at this conference in Ontario. Lord, we pray for safe travels for James as he comes back home and Todd as he continues on to London for another conference. Lord, let these things be beneficial for you, for them that have been there, and for us as a church, as our leaders are striving to know you better and to learn more. Lord, we pray for upcoming events at this, as part of our community. We pray for camp coming up in a few weeks, that that would be a time of blessing for those that are there. Pray that you would speak to everyone that is there, that you would let that be a time of enjoyment and of truly knowing your blessing and your community with one another. And Lord, we pray and we thank you for the many blessings that you have poured out upon us. We pray that as we give back a small portion of that, that you would take it and you would multiply it and you would use it for the furthering of your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the, your blessing upon the finances of this church and the way things that have worked out. And we pray that with, this, uh, with the, the funds that we have now been able to access, that we would use them well that we would be good stewards of what you have given to us and we would be good stewards of what we give back to you. In your name we pray. Amen.